1: Well, welcome to Law of Attraction Talk Radio. I'm Jules from beautiful Southern California, and I'm so glad you could be with me because guess who is back? Dr. Bruce Lipton, PhD, cellular biologist, and former medical school professor. And he's got a brand new book he wants to talk about called The Honeymoon Factor that takes off from his best-selling book, The Biology of Belief. This is going to be a great show. So sit back and relax. You're going to love it. Don't forget that if you want a print version of the next issue of Law of Attraction Magazine, sign up for the print subscription at thelawofattractionmagazine.net. And if you want to serve the world by helping me get the word out to people about the law of attraction and what that means for all of us then go to getjoyride.com and support my show and the network remember what you give in an effort to shift the world is your spiritual connection and it's called prosperity consciousness and this is very very powerful energy that can only flow back into your life the other thing i want to mention is that i've got this most incredible mp3 called money activation hypnosis mp3 i listened to it the other day and i was blown away i knew it was a bestseller but i have not heard it in so long and i've got to tell you it's pretty fantastic during this hypnosis mp3 you focus on your connection to your heart's coherence and my goodness It's incredible. And I'm going to warn you, though, if you happen to wake up in the middle of the night and you use this, you better be prepared. You may not get back to sleep because (laughs) you just become so happy, so blissful, so grateful that you just want to jump up and shout, thank you, universe. And you know what? This is exactly the place you need to be to activate the energy that we call money. So, my suggestion is, listen to it every time you start feeling lack, in the morning, on the break, just keep listening. The more times you listen, these feelings of bliss are going to stay with you, and you are, in effect, rewiring your past history and your past DNA. You know, abraham hicks talks about the bliss you feel while you're in the vortex well this mp3 is definitely going to make heaven on earth for you now there's two places you can grab it one is on the store at loaradionetwork.com and the other is lawofattractiontools.com wouldn't it be great if more people felt abundant and prosperous Remember, individually will bring about change for us, but then we merge with the collective consciousness to shift the planet from fear and lack to one of incredible abundance and prosperity. In other words, it affects all of us and it affects all of our countries. It's really, really powerful. I know you're going to love it. Now, I got a question from Ambrosia who didn't mention her age, but I have a feeling that it's significantly less than my age. So let me read the question to you. It says, quote, Hello, I have a few questions regarding LOA. I have made a commitment to stay happy for seven days, and it's harder than I thought it would be. I have been writing down every day things that I'm truly grateful for and the things that I would like to have happen. It's working really well because I got a check in the mail every single day. The hard part is losing my temper with my mom and her two-year-old daughter. I write down what I'm grateful for, but... I still get mad and I snap at them. Is there anything else I can do? (laughs) Well, Ambrosia, I think it is so wonderful that you've made a commitment to be happy. At first, it is very difficult because your mind is used to thinking 25,000 negative thoughts a day. So, of course, it's going to take you longer than just seven days. But be easy with yourself. I'm finding that even at my age, I still have moments of anger or sadness or irritability. I'm not happy all the time. I've got to be truthful. And guess what? That's part of being human. We came here to experience this humanness so that we could evolve not only ourselves, But humanity, the thing that I can say is every day gets easier. And the longer you keep on monitoring your thoughts, the easier life gets. So even if your two-year-old sister is getting into all of your stuff and throw fits, she's going to get on your nerves. And here's a technique you simply know. she's going to get on your nerves accept it then flip that switch when you feel all those emotions come up flip it and distract yourself in doing something that you like to do and you will start taking control of your mind you know what I think is so special is because you're so young and you're doing this you're going to be able to flip the switch when your coworkers or your boss or your friends or your family start irritating you because you will have discovered at such an early age that there's only one thing in the world that you are in control of, and that's your mind, that's your thoughts. Ambrosia, I'm so proud of you for wanting to do this, and I'm sending a huge hug to you because everything that you're doing today is going to make an absolutely phenomenal life i'm so proud of you now let's take a fast break and when we come back we will have the fabulous dr bruce lipton joining us stay with us
0: you're listening to the law of attraction radio network Heard by millions worldwide through 38 internet radio stations and in over 135 countries. Come join us on Facebook for your daily dose of inspiration and action that reveals the secret within you. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash law of attraction radio network. That's facebook.com Forward slash Law of Attraction Radio Network. Need help realizing your dreams? As a hypnotherapist specializing in the law of attraction, Jules Johnson can help you to break through your critical mind into your manifested dream. Get started today by going to lawofattractiontools.com, set up a personal Skype video or phone session. Law of Attraction Tools is there to help you turn your desires into reality. That's lawofattractiontools.com.
1: We are back. I don't think we need a big intro for Dr. Bruce Lipton because everybody knows him by his best-selling book, The Biology of Belief. Bruce is a cellular biologist and not only taught medical school, he introduced epigenetics to the world. Now, Bruce has been very instrumental in the way that I practice as a hypnotherapist, because with each session, I help the client to activate their mind to command cells to respond to any disturbance in the body, which allows the harmony between the mind-body connection. Bruce has a brand new book out called The Honeymoon Effect, and it really is fantastic. He is talking with us today from New Zealand, and I'm so happy to have him back with us. Welcome back, Bruce, to Law of Attraction Talk Radio.
2: I am so happy to be here with you, Jules, and I so appreciate you and your audience because you all represent uh, people that are looking for a better way of life on this planet, and um, I'm, I'm real happy to provide some science, I think, that will support that.
1: Great. Great. That's exactly what we're all about here on this show, is about the science behind everything. And we feel that that's bringing more people into the fold of understanding how we create our reality. So uh, is that correct?
2: Absolutely, because we live in a civilization that sees science as a truth provider. So uh, if you say something, oh, that that's scientific then everybody's attention goes oh okay really cool and if you say well that's not scientific then people just drop it right, and let it go as some you know little side piece of information but not really worthy so uh science is sort of the uh the filter through which we identify a truth in, in the current civilization.
1: And that's why we love you so much is because you are teaching us the power of our thoughts, our beliefs, and it has literally... Oh, changed my world because of your first book. But since the last time you were on my show, you've really traveled the world. And as a matter of fact, you went with Greg Braden to the United Nations. Tell us about that before we get into the honeymoon effect.
2: Well, the, the wonderful part about working with my brother, Greg, and I love working with him, he's uh, he's a man of such high integrity and such mm-hmm. high love that uh, working with him is a, is a real pleasure for me. We went off to the United Nations because we had a meeting at the United Nations once and the leaders in the... Um, uh, well, there was a team looking at the future. They, they have a program where they try to look for 15 years into the future to see uh, what's happening and how we can manage the future. Uh, we heard from that group, and both Greg and I realized that their information about how the, the planet is essentially working and their understanding of, uh, of people and consciousness and all that was, was really off base. And as a result, they really did not have a clear picture of how to deal with the future because they really were not using the right parameters to see that future. So uh, Greg and I uh, were asked to come back to the UN and and update them uh, on uh, what's going on. So both of us had talked to uh, the leaders of this community that were planning the future. Uh, And tried to give them an idea. A, Greg talked about the past and cycles that we've been through in the past. And my work really dealt with their issue. And their issue is, they said, look, we, we install all these new UN programs. And for a while, everything seems to be really working. And then it all just goes back to the old way again. And it was very frustrating for them. And I said, well, the whole issue is this, is that you can excite the conscious mind where the, the people that are receiving their U.N. aid uh, with these new ideas, the conscious mind's like, wow, this is really cool. And in the very beginning, uh, the U.N. programs get a lot of support. But uh, as the biology of belief talks about, in a conventional world, only about 5% of our life is really run by the conscious creative mind. 95% comes from the subconscious, which is habit. And the whole idea was this, is that the idea of introducing something new Uh, does educate the conscious mind, but does not change the subconscious programming. Mm -hmm. So uh, they were always stuck because they'd always find out, yes, oh, brand new, everybody loves it. And then in a very short time, everybody went back uh, because at one point we all start to operate from the conventional understanding of uh, actually being controlled by the subconscious mind. Uh, And this is very critical because the subconscious mind is programmed. In fact, uh, in my lectures, I try to emphasize uh, uh, a very interesting idea, and that is we talk about the movie The Matrix, and almost everybody's seen the movie The Matrix. Right. And, and uh, when I give my lecture, I start off and I say, uh, well, you go to the video store, and I say, where do you find The Matrix? And I say, well, it's over there in science fiction. And I go, that's a mistake, cause The Matrix is actually a documentary uh, <laughs> that we have been programmed. And that uh, if we take this so-called red pill, we can get out of those programs that are uh, by the large part from psychological insight. uh, Most of these programs are negative, disempowering, self-sabotaging, limiting. And all of us have received these kind of programming. So uh, the the idea of the matrix is we can get out of this program. And and I love it because as we're going to talk about uh, experiencing the honeymoon effect is actually the equivalent of taking the red pill. Uh, and this is why our lives change so dramatically when people fall in love, uh, no matter how Crummy it might be up until you meet this special person as soon as you meet this person all of a sudden it's like well life is so beautiful and and happy and love and and healthy and energy and 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 it's like well there was a complete world change by falling in love and and it's not a coincidence or an accident it is actually uh, um, a neurological uh, change uh, that allows us to get out of the program but unfortunately uh, as most people are aware, that honeymoon for most people doesn't last a long time. It's it's really great to kick off a relationship, but uh, inevitably it fades back into real life again, uh, and it becomes a, a you know a history or like well a memory of a honeymoon. Uh, yet the idea is, what if you had that honeymoon life for the rest of your life? And that's like wow, that's that's a nice idea. But it's more than a nice idea; it's actually a reality that we can work
1: on so that's basically where we are getting stuck in our subconscious with the honeymoon we're not going beyond that to stay in that love is that well, what you're saying yeah
2: it's not that we're not going beyond that we're reverting back uh, to, yeah. to to the way we were before we met that special person and, and I, I really have to add right now um, is that the honeymoon effect, which I, I talk about as um, a period of uh, exuberant health, uh, which is pretty much most people when they fall in love gets they, they get so healthy. People even say, "Oh, they, they they're glowing in love," and I go, "That that's part of the chemistry of falling in love." Uh, that we have lots of energy, abundant energy, w- when we're in love. Uh, and most importantly is that the honeymoon experience is it, such a wonderful life experience that uh, people can't wait for the next day to have more of right. that experience. Uh, and it's tantamount to having like heaven on earth. So uh, what's interesting about this, that that health, that energy that heaven-on-earth experience, uh, there's a biological understanding behind it. If you understand how we got into it and understand why we lose that honeymoon effect, then we're empowered to uh, actually have that honeymoon effect for the rest of our lives. And I'm working on it right now. It's, uh, it's about 20 years of uh, honeymoon with my partner, Margaret. And um, we've been living by this science, and so far, so good. So 20 years of uh, juicy honeymoon life experience is worth everything.
1: Wow. Well, that's great. But what if you don't have a relationship? Can you still uh, live that?
2: That's what I was going on and I sort of got lost on the Margaret tangent. And that was <laughs> that, the fact is this, that that honeymoon experience, while I've been relating it to falling in love with another person, does not necessarily have to be with a person. Uh, a fact is that uh, an individual, let's say an artist who's working on, uh, on so let's say a painting, while they're doing that, that's tantamount to a honeymoon experience or a gardener. who who can't wait to get outside and put their hands in the dirt and, you know, and grow plants and touch the soil. Uh, When they're doing that, that's also tantamount to a honeymoon experience. Essentially, I guess, is any experience that you get so involved with that time disappears uh, and during that time period, uh, you're just enjoying your life so much. Uh, Is something that is, uh, that could actually precipitate the equivalent of a honeymoon effect?
1: Okay, but... You're not always having your hands in the soil doing what you want to do. So how do you prolong that? How do you rewire the brain? How do you rewire the cells to uh, believe that everything is good? I mean, you're experiencing this wonderful time. But let me just ask, do you have every day is good? I mean, you don't have a bad day there?
2: Ah, uh, yeah. Now that okay. Now every day is great. Okay. Now, now, but but here's the issue. You might say, "Oh, then you mean everything goes your way?" Yeah. Like, no, no, it doesn't actually go my way. But what's wonderful about the honeymoon experience is that even if it doesn't go your way, that doesn't throw you off of balance and throw you off of ah. the love and the harmony. Uh, and that's what we have to learn. We have to learn not to hold on to those things that don't seem to work out the way we would like them to work out. In fact, what I've learned over this long time period is when things don't work out, there's probably a really good reason as to why you know we were going in that direction and it didn't go. Uh, rather than being upset, we didn't go there. Uh, It's really a good moment to stand back and say why couldn't we get there because usually the universe has a uh, Has an image of, uh, of you know how to get to our destination that differs from our conscious mind's map of how to get to that destination so when things don't work Rather than being that upset, it's sort of like pull back and and recognize there's a reason why it didn't work. And in fact, when you really understand it, you'll find that probably there was a much better way to get to that destination you were seeking than the plan that you were on. So, uh, this is really an important way of looking at it because in my older version of my life, when things didn't work, man, I, I was tough. I, I, would say it didn't work. I'm going to make it work. <laughs> and, and what I do is I put a lot of effort and a, you know, and a lot of time to make the world the way I wanted to make it, even though it didn't seem to be working out and, and eventually get to the point that said, yeah, see, I got what I wanted. And then stop at that moment and realize, oh my God. It's not really what I wanted. (laughs) I I, I didn't fully see where I was going. So now that I got what I supposedly wanted, it looks like, well, it's not exactly what I wanted. Uh, And I realized the universe was trying to tell me that from the beginning, (laughs) that going that way that I had planned was not necessarily the best thing that I could do. So what I've learned is that I have an intention, a destination, what I'd like to see happen. Then I start to move toward that. If it fails and it doesn't go, I don't give up. I just start to realize there's things that I didn't see that if I consider them, I probably wouldn't have approached it in that direction. And now that I see them, I say, oh, there's a better direction to go. So uh, you could look at uh, a failure of getting to your goal as going, oh, my God, the universe is against me. Or you could look at it, the universe has offered a better way and I haven't seen it. <laughs> and and uh. this, is, this is what it's all about. So uh, my, my way of living now is uh, I create an intention that I really want and I let go of the means of how to get to that intention. I mean, I'll start off on a path and say, okay, let's go toward it this way. But rather than being upset and, and, and stopped in my tracks when it doesn't work, I look at it and go, oh, okay, time to back up reconsider and look at what i was really looking for and and what i ended up with to see what was wrong and and usually it turns out that there was something that i didn't consider or didn't plan that showed up and and with that knowledge it gave me a better way to get to that intended end that i was looking for
1: interesting well explain how the honeymoon effect is uh expression of entangled cooperation between nature and nurture
2: yeah well here's what we have to understand okay that when we come into this life we don't have any understanding as, as an infant of how to deal with life. Uh, and, and as an infant, you have to realize this. By the time a child's just a few years old, how many thousands of rules must a child learn to be a functional member of a family or a functional member of a community? If you had to list all the rules of behavior that an individual child must know to be, you know, to fit into that society, you'd find there are hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of different little rules about how to respond to people and how to behave and all that. I go, well, this is interesting because a baby, the moment is born, has no understanding of these rules. I, I joke in my lecture, I say, imagine a baby could speak the moment it was born. And I say, okay, and, and here's the baby coming out of the birth canal. And we say, welcome, welcome to our world. Tell us something. And that baby would look up at you a little confused and go, I, I don't know anything. I just got here. And, and all of a sudden you realize that uh, a baby has to download a lot of information to get their feet on the ground and become a functional member of that family and that community. And I say, well, How do you teach an infant to to the rules of uh, just the social relationship rules that are so critical? I mean, and, and the nuances are so fine. For example, how a parent talks to a child is different than a parent talks to other adults, which is even different than how a parent talks to a policeman, for example. And you have to realize that every one of these interactions has a little rule governing it to some degree. And as I said, uh, an infant can't be taught like with a school book, you know, here you are, you're one year old. And I say, sit down at the desk and start reading this book on how to be a member of the family. Obviously that's not possible. And I say, well, how can you put thousands of rules, uh, uh, and insights into, you know, becoming a functional member of the community, uh, into the head of that child? And the answer is this, we now know that the brain of a child up for the first seven years is operating at a lower EEG frequency than consciousness. Consciousness in EEG, electroencephalograph terms, is referred to as alpha, which is calm consciousness, or beta, which is active consciousness. And I go, well, these are higher vibrations than a child is experiencing for the first seven years. The first seven years, the brain is predominantly in a lower vibration state called theta. And you say, well, what does that mean? I say, well, theta characteristic is imagination. I say, yeah, see, this is why when you look at children, especially between two and seven, they mix the real world and the imaginary world seamlessly together. Yes, they do. If a child is riding a broom and you say, give me the broom, the child looks at you in a strange way like, what are you talking about? This is a horse. This isn't a broom. Uh, And so the reality that that child is using theta and and considering the broom to be a horse. And at that moment, the broom is a horse. And that's called imagination. So that accounts for some of the behavior of children, especially between two and seven. However what is not understood by most people is theta is hypnosis. And why is that relevant? And the answer is this, the first seven years of a child, the brain is in hypnosis. And what I mean by that is the child is like a video recorder. It records everything that's going on, but the recordings don't go into the conscious mind, uh, because the conscious mind is not working. Uh, it's not, it's not off the ground yet. That really becomes a predominant, uh, EEG activity after seven. So, Before seven, uh, and you're in theta, uh, you're in a state of hypnosis, which means whatever you observe and whatever you learn from those observations, those experiences, go strictly into the subconscious mind. And so they bypass consciousness. And this is really important because if I said to you, well, tell me the programming that you got when you were one year old. And you go, I don't even remember when you're old. And I said, well, you've already been programmed for a year by then. And you were actually being programmed in utero before you were born. And all of a sudden you say, well, wait a minute. That means the fundamental programming of my life, the behaviors I learned that are in my subconscious, I'm not personally familiar with because my conscious mind wasn't even working then. So you have these programs that you get downloaded in the first seven years. And this gets you off the ground. Yeah, Jules, the way I'd like to to give it in a lecture so people see it, I'd like to give the analogy of the mind, uh, uh, conscious and subconscious mind, to that of an iPod. And I say... When you go to the Apple store and you buy an iPod and you take it out of the box, there's a little wheel on the front. Uh, the company calls it the click wheel. Mm-hmm. And I go, The click wheel, that's the one that selects the songs you want to play. That's the one that adjusts the volume. That's the one you could go fast forward or backwards or put it on pause. The click wheel is essentially creative. Make a playlist. Oh, okay. And I go, Oh, so the click wheel is creative like the conscious mind. Now we go back to the story. I go to the Apple store, buy a new iPod, take it out of the box, push play on the click wheel, and nothing happens. And everybody looks at you like, well, of course nothing happens. You didn't download any music, so how can you get anything to play? I go, the downloading is the equivalent of the subconscious action. So in other words, a child like an iPod cannot play with the click wheel because it has nothing to create from. Um. It needs programs first. So the first seven years is download the programs... And when you become conscious, then you can use and manipulate those programs. But without any program at all, there's going to be no response from a child.
1: And during that seven years, then that's when the programs set are set for the rest of our lives.
2: Well, they're set for the rest of the lives until you change them. Until now, you that, change that, them. That, that's, that's important. Critical. Yeah. Uh, and the idea is this conscious mind and the subconscious mind this is very critical this is the the i guess the pivot point the mind and subconscious mind have two different functions and they learn in different ways this has created the 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 biggest problem with trying to take control of our lives is because we usually uh, group the conscious and subconscious to say the mind i go well They work together, but they're interdependent uh, elements that collectively uh, work in harmony with each other. And I go, um, the subconscious mind is the programmed mind. Uh, it's the habit mind. So once you learn something in the subconscious, uh, it, it'll be there as a habit until you rewrite it. Uh, and, and it's very interesting because by the definition, if you want to make a habit, Let's say learning how to walk. That's a habit. Walking, you had to learn. Once you learn it and the program is downloaded into the subconscious mind as a habit, you don't have to relearn how to work, walk every day. Uh, thank God, because uh, if the habit mind would change easily, then things that we learned, we'd lose them over time very, you know, very easily because the mind would be always changing. But things that you really want to learn and keep, how to walk, how to drive a car, how to do your job, how to talk to people... Uh, these become habits so that once you learn them, you don't have to relearn them again. Well, that all of a sudden says the first thing is there's resistance in the subconscious mind to change because if it changes easily, then habits wouldn't really exist. Okay, now I say, well, the habit mind is subconscious. What about the conscious? I go, ah, that's a different mind. That's the evolution of the brain to a point of a creative mind. The subconscious has a little bit of creativity, but not very much. It's sort of like a precocious five-year-old in creativity. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the subconscious mind being more habit, the conscious mind being more creative, uh, is the creative mind is what gives humans our powers. Most lower organism, their subconscious minds are, are stimulus response, input-output. Uh, It's reaction behavior. It's not thinking. uh, It's not contemplating. It's just stimulus response. Push the button, make a response. That's what the subconscious mind does even in our brain. But when you get to the conscious mind, the conscious mind is the creative mind that could uh, put ideas together and merge them and morph them into something new. Uh, And as a result, the creative mind can put together images that don't even exist. So I say, okay, in your conscious mind right now, uh, consider a ballerina doing a twirl. I go, okay, good. Now I say, now put the ballerina inside a box. And so you have a box, and, and you can see that, and she's inside the box, and she's spinning around, and um, anything I want to add after that, and I'm saying, well, what are you doing? You're taking an image of a ballerina, which you know, you're taking an image of a box, you're putting them, morphing them together, you get this new image, it's not real, but it's totally created. So conscious mind is the one that allows us to put ideas together. So I go, wow, that's really cool. Now here comes the fundamental difference that we really have to emphasize, Jules, And it goes like this subconscious mind is a program mind. It's uh, uh, for old people like myself. I'd like to relate it to something called the jukebox (laughs) in the old days. (laughs) (coughs) And and that's like you, you have this machine filled with all these records and then you push a button and then one of the records gets selected and then starts to play a program. I go, well, that's like the subconscious mind. Subconscious mind is a database of all these programs and when you push the button on any one of these programs, it plays automatically at that point. So th- that's the nature of that. But the cr- conscious mind is creative. It doesn't necessarily have any programs in it, but it can have vision and imagination and put new ideas together. So creative versus habitual. That's the, the fundamental difference in, in the function of conscious versus subconscious. Okay. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and so I say, wow, great. A creative mind by its definition is a mind that has your wishes and your desires because a wish and a desire is something that you see in the future that you don't have right now. So by definition, if you have a wish, you have a desire, you have an aspiration for life that by definition has to come from the conscious mind because the conscious mind is looking into the future. Yeah. And it, does, it doesn't exist. The subconscious mind is always in the present moment. Very important point. Because I say, well, why is that important? I say, well, look, let's say when you were three years old, you, you learned something, you, you know, you've heard something like from your parents that repeated some kind of thing like, well, you don't deserve that. You don't deserve that. Well, the relevance about that, even though you were maybe only four years old when you heard that and it got downloaded in your subconscious as a belief about yourself, I do not deserve. If I asked you today at this current moment, I say, well, let's check into your subconscious. And I say, let's, let's check about the belief of deservability. And, and I'll check and you'll find out even today, whatever age you are, uh, when it comes to deserve, you will, your subconscious will have a program that says, I do not deserve. Mm-hmm. It doesn't recognize that it was from four years old. It just says right now because the subconscious can, does not have uh, a time thing to it. So it doesn't know what you learned when you were four as different from what you learned yesterday. And, and so basically, uh, it can only operate in the present moment as if whatever happened in four years old is happening at this moment again. So the subconscious mind is always in the present moment. The conscious mind, though, is unique because that's the one that I say, well, uh, Jules, tell me, uh, what, what did you do last Sunday? And for a moment, you can go into contemplation and review and go, oh, yeah, what I did last Sunday, I did this. And I go, okay, wait, tell me what you plan to do next Sunday. And all of a sudden, you go back in the conscious mind, you start to think and look at the little Rolodex in there and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this on Sunday. And I say, well, what's the relevance? I say, the conscious mind is not time bound. It could think into the future, can review the past. Subconscious mind, always in the present moment. Wow. And I say, well, what's the significance? And I say, well, the conscious mind's creative. It's got your wishes and desires. And I go, yes. Then I also have to say this, is that the conscious mind can think. Well, we just recognize that, think into the future, think about the past. I go, well, what's the significance of that? And here it is. The moment we are thinking, by definition, we're not paying attention at the present time. Oh. So if I, I said to hey, you, Jules, what are you doing next Sunday? If you actually try to answer that question, until you come up with the answer to that, your mind is in contemplation, thinking, right? Right. And I said, well, if the conscious mind's thinking, it's not by definition controlling the present moment because you're not here at the present moment anymore. Your conscious mind is taking you a different time. Oh. I go, well, wait. So that means if I'm walking down the street and I have a thought, does that mean because my conscious mind is not going to pay attention, I just freeze and stand there until the thought is complete and then start walking again? I go, no, and this, this for the audience, is what I want to emphasize, is that the moment the conscious mind is thinking, whatever activities we're engaged in, by default, are now controlled by the subconscious program. And it makes sense. I mean, in other words, I said, you, you're walking down the street, you have a thought, your conscious mind lets go the present moment. That doesn't mean all of a sudden your biology just stops and waits for you to finish the thought. You continue walking down the street and you do it very safely you, or driving the car. Mm-hmm. You can drive the car. And I'm not the only one out there like this, but uh, I know that many of us who've driven cars for a long, long time realize You don't have to pay attention to the details of driving. In fact, if you get in the car and you have a, a, a friend as a passenger and you're driving, most people like myself will realize that at some point, if the conversation is so good that you get so lost in the conversation that you actually haven't looked at the road for five or 10 minutes that you can remember you because you're so involved, your conscious mind is focused on conversation. It's not focused on driving. So at some point you're in this conversation, you look up out the window and it dawns on you, geez, I haven't I haven't paid attention to the road <laughs> during this conversation. Uh, and then you realize, well, you didn't hit anybody and you're still driving. Everything seems to be pretty cool. And I say to you, okay, well, during the conversation, you were using your conscious mind. So I said, can you tell me what the conversation was about? You go, yeah, we talked about this and this and this. Then I say, okay, now tell me what happened on the road during that five minutes you were in the conversation. And all of a sudden you go, I don't know. (laughs) I I didn't see it. I go, yeah, but you were still driving. I go, the subconscious was driving. And all it was doing was responding to the programs that it has. The subconscious is a, a million times more powerful, a computer than the conscious mind. So leaving the driving of the car to the subconscious mind, is not bad at all. As a matter of fact, if you're about to to go into an accident, the car is slipping out of control. The brain will shut down the conscious processor because consciousness is slower than subconscious. So uh, the conscious mind is so powerful that the body says, if I'm going into an accident, I I don't want to use my conscious mind. I want to immediately jump into reaction. And, And so the conscious mind gets shut down. So my point about that is two points. Number one, When the conscious mind's busy, we default to the subconscious, but also recognize the subconscious is so powerful that it's even more powerful than the conscious mind in handling it, but it will only do it through the program. So here, bottom line, science has revealed that 95% of the day, the conscious mind is thinking. I go, well, what does that mean? Well, right away, it says, when the conscious mind is thinking, then by definition, It's not controlling what you're doing. (laughs) It's not there. That your behavior is now being defaulted to subconscious programs. I go, yeah, but what's relevant about that? And I go, because the fundamental behaviors in the subconscious were not put in there by you. They were downloaded by observing your parents, your siblings, your community, observing their behavior. I say, wait, 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 let me get this. And I say, here's what it is. The moment your conscious mind is thinking, you let go of creative control and you now respond to program and the programs you primarily respond to are actually not even your programs because they were downloaded by observing others during that first seven years. So the behavior that you play when you're doing the subconscious is not visible to you for a simple reason. Because if the conscious mind's thinking and you default to the subconscious, then by definition the conscious mind's the one that's not observing it, <laughs> because it's the one that's thinking. So you don't see the behavior coming forth from the subconscious mind.
1: Wow. Yeah. Now
2: when I when I give this in a lecture, Jules, uh, I ask people to to go back in their lives, and most people are familiar with this point that I'm gonna bring up, and I go. I'm sure when you were younger, you were close to a friend. You knew your friend's behavior very, very well. And you happen to know your friend's parent. And one day it dawns on you that your friend has some of the same behavior as their parent. (laughs) And this moment of excitement gets you to say something like, hey, you know, Bill, you're just like your dad. (laughs) And you back away from Bill. Right, Bill goes ballistic. How can you compare me to my dad? Says Bill, and I tell the audience who's laughing at this point because they're all familiar with it. I say, This is the most profound story I can tell you about your life at this moment, and that is this everyone else can see that Bill behaves like his dad. The only one who doesn't see it is Bill. Oh, yeah, I go, Why is that? How did that come out? And I say, Well, A he was programmed in the seven years by observing his dad's behavior. So the behavior of his father is built into a subconscious. B, he's only playing that behavior because it's sometime during the 95% of the day when he's thinking. And when he's thinking, he doesn't see the behavior. So he's the one that's shocked, that says, oh my God, how can you compare me to my dad? Uh, and everyone else is sort of like, but it's so obvious <laughs> we, we can see it. And I say, why is this relevant? And I say the profound point, because all of us are Bill. Every one of us is Bill. Every one of us is moving forward with, in the day with a, I say, what is your desire, wish, aspiration for your life? And you say, I want a great relationship. I want a great job. I want to be healthy. And I say, good. You get up in the morning, you have a wish, desire, aspiration. You go forward to work. You come home at the end of the day, and you realize you didn't get there. <laughs> you know, You uh, all your wishes and desires didn't really manifest. Mm-hmm. And you go, wow, the universe is against me because I wanted to be healthy or I wanted to have a great relationship. And I go, it didn't happen. And I go, well, it's not me. I'm the one that had the great wish of, you know, having a relationship. And therefore, and this is the problem, we blame the universe We see ourselves as victims. Oh, it's not in my fate. It's not in my fate to have a relationship that's so beautiful. It's not in my fate to be healthy. And I go, why do you say that? You say, because I went forward to look for that relationship or for help. And it didn't happen. So it's not me. It's the universe. And I am a victim. And that's where almost everybody comes from when their lives don't work out. I am a victim because this is not what I wanted. And I go, oh, my God, you don't get it. You were only moving 5% of the day towards your destination. 95% of the day you were playing programs that psychologists have revealed were mostly negative and disempowering and self-sabotaging. And you played them while you're not observing them. So in a sense, the, 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 the visual joke is uh, you're shooting yourself in the foot all day long with behavior that's unconscious. And then at some point you notice you have a bloody foot and you go, how'd that happen? Who did that? (laughs) Because you didn't see you were the one with the gun. And so basically it says our problems in life are not that we can't get what we want. Our problems in life is that the mind that secures that, what we want, only works 5%. And we are unconscious of the other ninety-five percent, and if that behavior isn't good behavior, if you acquired bad behavior in your family, then ninety-five percent of the day you will be sabotaging yourself with these bad programs. And all of a sudden, it goes, "Oh my God, I—it's uh, not not the world is against me. I invisibly have been sabotaging myself by these programs."
1: It's kind of these- like the biology of belief.
2: It is the biology of belief. That's why the honeymoon effect was derived from the biology of belief, because once you understand this and you say, wait, if my life is a reflection of this programming and not expression of my wishes and desires, as you brought up, as we first started the whole conversation, it says, well, what if I rewrite the program? And I go, that is the secret. And and now, of course, the first question that people will say is uh, because we brought it up. I said, tell me that program you got when you were one year old. You go, I don't know that program. I wasn't conscious. So I have no idea what my programs are. And I go, oh, okay. How do we find out what the programs in the subconscious are? Many people, to me and my perception, make the mistake of going to like a psychologist or psychiatrist uh, with the understanding that if I review my life, I will understand these programs. And I go, why I think it's a, a, a mistake is that because as you review each one of these programs, you're actually, uh, you know, playing it again in your mind. You're, you're reinforcing the belief by just going over. So you you go to that psychologist and you bring a big box of tissues. You cry your way through the whole thing to find out who did what to who. Your mom did this. Your dad did that. Your friends did this. Wow. 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 Cry, cry. And I go, OK, now that you know this, what's the difference? The answer. Nothing. <laughs> what is the honeymoon effect well i said science has recognized on a day-by-day basis the conscious mind wishes and desires that that's where honeymoon is wishes and desires i said uh, that mind only works five percent of the day so 95 percent of the day you're not going to experience wishes and desires at all and i go well, yeah but what happens when you fall in love and i go that is the cool part Because that's where science has recognized profound change in processing. It turns out that when you fall deeply in love, your conscious mind does not go back into thinking. It stays present. It stays what is called mindful. The conscious mind stays up front. A very logical reason why is, well, if that romance that you were wishing and desiring shows up, why would you let your mind wander The moment you got what you wanted. (laughs) And so what does it mean? It says, oh, well, when you fall in love like that, you don't default to the subconscious programming because you stay conscious. And I go, well, what does that mean? It says, then rather than 5% of the day operating on wishes and desires, now you're operating 90% of the day or more on wishes and desires. Those wishes and desires controlling your life and your behavior and what goes on. So I say, oh. Your life sucks up until you meet this person. Why? Because 95% of the day you're playing those very negative programs you got through your family and your community. Then you meet this person. And all of a sudden it's heaven on earth. Everything is beautiful. I go, what, what, how'd that happen? I say, because this is a part of your life, the equivalent of taking a red pill is that you don't actually default to the subconscious because you keep your conscious mind present. But that's the one that has wishes and desires. I go, yeah. And if you operate from that wishes and desires at 90% of the day or more, then by definition, you manifest the wishes and desires. Uh And I go, wow, that's what the honeymoon is about. I'm not sabotaging myself for this period. And in fact, all my behavior coming from wishes and desires will manifest those wishes and desires and we go through this honeymoon period and it's so juicy and so loving and so exciting and it's heaven on earth. I go, wow, absolutely great. But inevitably, and it's different for each couple in this case of a honeymoon, inevitably uh, life still gets busy. I mean, I could still be in love, but guess what? I, uh, you know, I, I have a job I have to manage. I have debts I have to pay off. I have, you know, chores that I have to do and I go, why is that relevant? Because while I was in the honeymoon, I stayed at the conscious mind and I created from wishes and desires. But the moment life starts to come back in and I have to think, oh, my God, what's, what do I have to do at work? What chores must I do? And I say, well, why is that relevant? Because the moment I'm thinking is the moment I default to the subconscious program. And I go, so? I go, ah, the honeymoon effect is a result when two people operate from their conscious minds and manifest wishes and desires. And as a result, the honeymoon is is derived from two conscious minds interacting with each other. I go, what happens to end the honeymoon? I go, oh, life gets busy and individuals in that relationship start thinking and the moment they start thinking, just like Bill, what do they do? They play the programs from their subconscious minds. Must we be... Prisoners of their subconscious programming.
0: Yeah.
2: And I say, no, we can rewrite the subconscious programming. The the result of rewriting it is absolutely fabulous when you see it from this perspective. I say, what if I took all those negative behavioral programming and rewrote them to conform to my wishes and desires about life? Then here comes the joyous part. You ready? If I rewrite those negative programs and put in only programs that correspond to wishes and desires then that means whether i'm paying attention with my conscious mind or defaulting to the subconscious i'm still playing the heaven on earth love experiences and all of a sudden it says ah then you could have heaven on earth the rest of your life every day and i go absolutely and then you go well how do i change those subconscious programs and i say well this is the disconnect part and this is the critical part it goes like this is that it's the habit mind that has these negative programs in it i go yeah and a habit mind does not learn like a conscious mind conscious mind is creative i say oh i, I ask uh, people in the audience when i lecture i say how many people have read a self-help book and of course everybody's hand goes up yeah. and i say now, how many of your lives dramatically change when you finish the book and most of all the hands go back down <laughs> i go But you know the stuff in the book. Yeah, I can give them a quiz, and they can answer. Get 100 on the quiz, the content of the book. I said, well, you know all this stuff. Then how come your life is still the same? And I go, because the conscious mind is the one that learns from reading the book, going to a lecture, watching a video. The conscious mind can learn by just going, aha, I got an idea, (laughs) and it learns. I say, what about subconscious? I go, "Uh uh-uh, it doesn't learn that way. It's a habit mind. I say, well, how does that learn? I said, well, in the first seven years, it learned because the subconscious was in a state of theta and theta is hypnosis. So you want to rewrite the subconscious? Hypnosis is a way of doing it. That's the way we got the programs in the first place. Because as you go off into sleep, your mind passes through that EEG phase called theta. Uh, as As you're going from a higher vibration of consciousness to sleep, the lower vibration, you pass through theta. So if you put the earphones on as you're going to bed, there's a period where the programming is uh, playing to your theta mind, just like you were a kid, bypassing consciousness, going into subconscious program. Okay. So what that,
1: you're saying yeah. though is that people should consider hypnosis.
2: A hypnosis is a form. Okay. Now let me give which you which is
1: second. which is great because I'm a hypnotherapist.
2: <laughs> well, there. Okay. Well, then you can see why why the work is so very important because they were already under hypnosis. Now you have to put them back in hypnosis and rewrite the original programs. So hypnosis is a way of doing it. Uh, another way of, uh, of changing it is habituation. That's how you learn uh, subconscious programs after you're seven. You repeat things. You repeat them and repeat them until you get them. How many times did you have to say ABC in a row before you could get the Z without making a mistake? I said, well, you repeated it hundreds of times. I go, yeah, but once you went from A to Z with no mistake, did you have to repeat it again? The answer is no, because once it's in there, now it's a habit. Mm -hmm. So how did I get it? I repeated, I repeated. How would you learn how to drive a car? I practiced, I practiced, I practiced. I go, ah. So doing a practice, doing a habituation, that's the second way of rewriting the subconscious. And lastly, uh, there's a, a, a bunch of new modalities collectively called energy psychology which is a way of engaging a a super learning process in the brain uh, that allows a rewriting of programs in minutes uh, when you know how to push the record button. If you don't know how to push the record button, the subconscious is not listening to you.
1: Wow. And this is all detailed in your book, The Honeymoon.
2: Yeah, and it's an it's a, it's a easy-to-read book, and it's kind of fun because most people can, are familiar with it. And I put in so, a lot of information about how you know when you're with the right person uh, mm. through vibrations, and, and uh, there's an energy, there's a vibe uh, that we also know that when you're in the state of romance, there are a, a large number of neurosecretions that encourage you to stay there, and that's nature's intention. Uh, Nature wants us to bond together for a long period of time uh, because basically uh, in lower animals, when they mate, such as frogs, you fertilize the egg uh, and the parents don't stay around. They have nothing to do with it anymore. The egg turns into a tadpole. Tadpole hatches. It's on its own.
1: Right.
2: But as you go up the animal scale, the higher up you go, the infants that are born are, are less complete. So you get to a human. I say, well, the baby is born. I say, how long does it take for it to become independent? Uh, uh, and I know some parents out there are saying, yeah, my kid's 40 years old and they're still at home. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but the fact is, it takes at least 13 or more years for a child to learn and experience and participate before they're uh, capable of being an independent member of that society. So why is that important? Because... In order to encourage the survival of the species, nature wants parents to stay together for 13 years so that they can support the development of this child because the child is the future. And, and, And so I say, well, how does nature try to encourage you to do that? And the answer is the honeymoon experience. If you've experienced that, you want that to go on forever and ever and ever. If you could keep the honeymoon experience, then you would stay together ever and ever and ever because that was where heaven on earth came from. And uh, it's the baggage of the subconscious programming that essentially uh, takes us out of that program.
1: Wow. Wow. That is so good. That makes so much sense. Yeah. It's very powerful. It's very powerful. It's It's just a great, great... Way to look at things. You've nailed it again.
2: <laughs> well, well, Jules, what's really so cool is that if individuals start living heaven on earth and and they start to, you get a larger number of the population. As more and more people live heaven on earth, uh, a the population is going to shift the balance, and and this is the way we're going to live. B uh, there's a very important under, insights called something called uh, mirror neurons. Uh, these are neurons in the brain that observe the world. And and through that observation, you can experience what other people are experiencing. Uh, I, I give the example of, uh, uh, let's say, Harrison Ford in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, everybody in a the theater is watching the movie, and all of a sudden, he gets covered with tarantulas. Mm-hmm. And everybody starts to squirm in their seat. I say, why is that? And the answer is... Because when you see somebody else in, uh, covered with tarantulas, you can experience something like they were feeling with those little crawly things all over you. You can feel it. And I say, how can you feel it? They're the ones that have the tarantulas. And you go, it's mirror neurons. You can experience what they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And I say, and the value of mirror neurons when it comes to the honeymoon effect is this. People who are not in love observing others who are in love are through mirror neurons getting a spin-off of that love themselves. And the more people in love and the more people being seen in love, the more that experience is spread through the population.
1: Wow. That's powerful. Thank you so much, Dr. Bruce Lipton. You are fabulous. Everybody go out and get his fabulous book. And Bruce, thank you so much for taking the time and being with us today.
2: Jules, thank you for a second opportunity, and I look forward. Maybe we have something more interesting to talk about in the future. I look forward to that.
1: Okay, great. Wow, this is a great show. It's interesting, isn't it, that love is so expansive and lets you grow into new heights, whereas fear and anger and sadness and bitterness really constricts you and stops you in your tracks this is a very very powerful lesson for us all we are all out of time have a great week ahead and tune in next week because we're going to have another great show on law of attraction talk radio we'll talk to you then bye-bye for now
0: thank you so much for joining us we'll be back next week with another great show from law of attraction talk radio If you'd like to comment on tonight's show, send an email to Jules at LOARadioNetwork.com and have a great week.